This episode of Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Greetings, programs, and welcome to this week's edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. So how did your week go, sir? This week has been actually really good. Got to see the new Spider-Man, which those who know me know I'm a huge Spider-Man fanatic, and I've been waiting for... Ever since this movie was announced, ever since Spider-Man was unveiled as being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... I won't spoil it because I know you haven't seen it yet. No spoilers. But it, <laughs> but it did not disappoint. It was really, really good. It's easily the best Spider-Man movie that's ever been made. That's so good uh, Michael Keaton was an amazing, amazing vulture. I'm not a vulture fan, but Michael Keaton made me a fan of that character with his take on it. That's awesome. Um, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't in it as much as I thought he would be. But he was in it just enough. Like he wasn't in it too much. He wasn't in it too little. It was just the right amount of Iron Man. So basically, we saw everything we needed to see in the trailer. <laughs> For the most part, yeah. There's there's more elaboration on the clips that you've seen in the trailer, but it, it's a really really good movie. It's. I mean, from a sentimental standpoint, it's probably my favorite in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's definitely up there with you know both the Guardian movies and the original Iron Man, in my opinion. Wow, I it's was really it would good because I love Spider Man. Spider Man's always been one of my favorite characters my entire life. Like, I wish you could see right above my computer here, looking right at me. I have a poster of the very first. Uh, um, Appearance of Spider-Man. It's Amazing Fantasy number 15, and it's signed mm-hmm. by Stan Lee. So that's oh, what I get to awesome. look at as I'm sitting at my desk. Um, I would love to have it like right behind me, but you know, I'd have to have a couple different webcams, and I just don't have that kind of money. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that actually brings up a, a funny running gag that I have with uh, the store I've mentioned a few times, Price Busters. They sell like retro games, and they also sell comic books. Well, I know a couple of the people who work there, and every now and then I'll pop in and I'll say, hey, do you guys have a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15? Yeah. And they just walk away from me. (laughs) I got 50 Uh, bucks on it. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give you five bucks for it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. But no, other than that, I've been working on my movie script. I saw. Which I, I, I hope that, you know, once it's finished, which... May or may not be tonight. I'm about halfway finished with it. So once uh, once I'm done with it, I'll send it over to you just to you know get your take on it. Oh, I'd it's, love to read it. And you're definitely it, taking the George Lucas route of actually writing your scripts by hand. I like to have physical copies of things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, I don't know, for, for, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a bit too slow of a process for me. I need to be at the computer and like get everything out as fast as I can before I forget what I'm thinking about. Uh, with me, I have like 
different things in different locations. Like I'll have a notebook that's just dedicated to the actual script. And then on like other sheets of paper, I'll just have like random ideas that I'll have. Like I have my idea sheet here and then my notebook here and I'll be writing, look at the paper, write. I, I, I'm a little more I guess, meticulous, I guess. But w- once I'm finished actually writing it, then I'm of course going to type it out because yeah. I have Adobe story. So I'll be using that. But once I'm done with it, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's absolutely, I won't say it has the humor of monsters anonymous. It's a, uh, it's a little more, how do I say it? It's not as funny for sure, but it, it's, it's not meant to be. So, well, we'll see. I'd love to, I can't wait to take a look at it. Yeah, absolutely. But how's your week been? It's, I had one of the best days of my life yesterday. Um, yesterday was my wife, Tina's birthday and happy uh, belated birthday to Tina. Oh yeah. And, um, what we did was, uh, we went and spent the day at the, the arcade at Margaritaville, which we have a Margaritaville resort, like maybe five miles from me. And, um, mm-hmm. they have this really big arcade there and we had never been there. So that was kind of my birthday thing for her is to take her to the arcade. And, I've only been in one other arcade that was bigger than this one. And that was at GameWorks in Seattle. And that one was just ridiculously huge. It was like three floors of just every kind of game you could think of. Like every, almost every game ever made was in this place. Um, but at Margaritaville, uh, they have this one huge building in the front. It's just a resort. It's not a casino. It's a resort. Uh, and they have this one building in the front, which is kind of like, uh, it's up off the ground where there's like parking and walkways on the first floor. And then the second floor uh, is the actual arcade. So this whole floor is the arcade. And then there's like a pool at the very top. But this, we walked up the, we got to the top of the escalators and it's just like, you walk up and it's just like, whoa, just games everywhere. And we played the Star Wars um, Battle Pod Um, They had the world's largest Pac-Man machine. Uh, We played Mario Kart. We played Ghostbusters. Um, What else? We played Aliens. Um, I played Galaga Assault, which is a game I've never seen before. It's like a super, like, like revved up Galaga game. It was awesome. Like, it was the best day in that place. And then my wife decided to try to win something in the claw machine. And if you look on my Instagram page, you can actually see this. I'm not lying. She got a Jen Urso pop figure in the claw. And when Mm -hmm. it went to go drop it, it was actually wedged in the claw. Like it couldn't let it go. (laughs) And we're just like, shaking the crap out of the machine trying to get it to drop it it wouldn't drop it and i'm like we're not leaving here without that thing so i went and, and told uh someone that works there i said hey we got a problem with the machine over here can you send somebody over to look at it he said yeah and he gets on his little you know his little thing he's calling somebody and while we're waiting all of a sudden the machine like goes back to its original position as you know, of course it's like swinging all over the place i'm like oh it's gonna drop it and nobody's gonna believe us and it still was just wedged in there. It was just hanging. So the lady came up and opened the machine. And my wife actually didn't want that one, the Jen Urso doll. She wanted the Wonder Woman pop figure that was like up in the back that wasn't down where you could grab it. 
and the lady let my wife trade it out for uh, the Wonder Woman because it was her birthday. <laughs> nice. So that was awesome. That's awesome. And then um, we went and we did an escape room, which is located mm-hmm. literally within walking distance of my house. It's like maybe two miles away. Uh, not even that. Like It's like two minutes from my house. And we went and did that. That was the most fun I've ever had doing that. Like we were just couldn't believe how much fun we had doing the escape room. And we did the two person room uh, where we were Mm -hmm. uh, locked in an old West, um, like um, it was a jail cell and you have to like find all the clues. Um, And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, but you know, it's like it, it's kind of cheesy the way they kind of do it and act along with you and stuff, but it's really fun, like trying to find all the clues and everything. So, um, and somebody's saying, uh, somebody from the Nerd Cave is saying that I have an echo with my sound, and I'm not quite sure why that is, but um, I'm not sure. That's interesting. Weird. I don't. Oh, you know. sound fine on my end. Um. I'm really not quite sure, and I can't really work on it right now while we're recording. So I'm just going to kind of let that go for a bit, and hopefully it'll correct itself. Maybe I'm having some lag issues or something. Um, but other than that, we had we had a really good time yesterday. So if you ever get a chance to do an escape room, definitely do it because it it's worth the money. It's awesome. It's funny you say that because I did an escape room for the first time as well. Really? On uh, on Friday, yeah, we did. Um, we had a group of. It was a group of eight that we all like went to dinner and everything, and then we had two additional people that we didn't know join us in the escape room. So it was a ten person thing. Oh yeah. And we were. The story was we were a bunch of journalists who were locked in an asylum, and we had an hour to get out of the room before, basically, the patients were let loose on us. So we were able to make it out with, I think, six minutes to spare. So yeah, we, we, did, we did. We did pretty well. Yeah, we did it with about six minutes left to go. And um, God, that was so fun. And the bad thing is, is you never get to do it again because you know all where all the clues are. So it's kind yeah. of only really a one-time thing. Yeah, I'd love to go in with a group that has never done it before, like that that particular room, just to see if they can figure it out. And then if they, yeah. if we're like have 30 seconds left, it'll be like, okay, I know what to do. And then <laughs> they'd take care of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but no escape rooms are definitely fun. Yeah. I definitely highly fun. recommend it. If you have one in your town, definitely go do one. And, um, if you ever, if you and your wife ever get a chance to come over for a day trip, the, uh, the arcade at Margaritaville is definitely worth a day trip. I'll definitely have to keep that in mind. But, uh, but let's go ahead and move into the news for this week. Coming to us from RetroGamer.net, a Rayman SNES prototype has been found. Um, let's see, where does it say? A very early prototype ROM of Rayman for the SNES has been dumped and released online with the apparent backing of series creator Michael Ansel. Uh, the ROM is a very basic proof of concept demo, though it features Rayman's trademark limbless animations and some beautiful background art. There's not a lot to do uh, due to the st- story lack of 
there, there's not a lot to do due to the lack of enemies and obstacles in this in stage. God, I can't read tonight. Uh, let me read that one more time. There's not a lot to do due to the lack of enemies and obstacles in the stage. Still, it's a neat bit of video game history, and Ansel has stated his intention to find the later builds of the game. Uh, if you want to get a copy of the ROM, a link is found in the article, and this is from RetroGamer.net. That's kind of cool that this has been revealed around the time they announced the SNES Classic. Yeah. Because... You know, this was a game that I'm surprised wasn't released for the Super Nintendo. Like, I, I assume Rayman, was that a PlayStation thing? Was it I, like a PlayStation exclusive back in the day? Pretty sure it was. Uh, I'm sure Wally will uh, tweet it to yeah. us uh, in the next couple of days. So, um, either way, this is really cool. I mean, the, the artwork looks great. It looks very typical SNES-like. Uh, Rayman looks exactly like you think he would. Oh yeah. For for that time, I briefly got into the Rayman games, but not like you know I did a Zelda or a Mario or even uh, the game I'll be reviewing tonight, Crash Bandicoot. Mm. But Rayman was was fun from what little I played of it. The, it was definitely fun. My only experience with Rayman is with Rayman Raving Rabbids. That game that came out. When yeah. was that? That was like around circa 2005 or so, I think. That sounds about right. Yeah, I'm not quite sure when that came out. I'd have to look that up. But that's really my only experience with it. I didn't even know Rayman went this far back. Yeah, it's. I was thinking maybe PlayStation 1. But yeah, I had no idea that it went back even that far. Yeah, that's well, pretty this, cool, though. This next story has got you written all over this. Oh, boy. <laughs> I saw the headline for this this morning, and I'm like, I can't wait to talk about this. So this comes to us from comicbook.com, which is a great website. The Oddworld creator trashes Nintendo Switch and says he has no faith in the system. The Nintendo Switch's lineup of third-party titles is still a bit thin, but it seems like most folks in the gaming industry personally like the system. I say most because Oddworld co-creator Lorne Lanning definitely isn't a fan of Nintendo or its innovative new console. Lanning's company released Oddworld New and Tasty, a remake of the first game in the series on Wii U in 2016, and it seems the experience left a bad taste in his mouth. On a recent episode of Kinda Funny's Game Over Greggy Show... Lanning was not shy about unloading on Nintendo. He said, and I quote, I don't have faith. I have no faith. It's due to experience. I see a similar level of success than they had with previous generations. Wii U, Wii. How successful was it for third parties? By the end of the line of the Wii, who else was making money aside from Nintendo? How many titles sold for the Wii that weren't Nintendo first party? They started basically evaporating third party support. We get to Wii U, same no third-party support. He's not wrong. Now, <laughs> now, I I will say I don't disagree with him on that, but I do think that Nintendo is at least making an effort to have more third-party games because, I mean, isn't Rocket League coming to the Switch fairly soon? Uh, yeah, I think so. It should be coming out, I uh, think, later, maybe around fall sometime, maybe September, I think. September or November, some uh, November, sometime around then. 
And then you have Skyrim coming out, which mm-hmm. that one I will say Skyrim should already be out for the Switch. Yeah, that should have been right at the launch. I mean, that you're talking yes. about a seven year old game at this point. Yeah, I that I I don't understand why, but I think Nintendo well, is at least making an effort. I mean, everybody everybody who has a Switch says they like the system. The problem is they're still relatively difficult to find. Now, I don't yeah. know how it's been in your area, but I've seen started seeing more available at like a Best Buy or a Walmart. Well, we actually talked about this the other night on uh, Pop Culture Palette, and I think what I've been seeing in the stores is just the empty boxes that they keep in the display case, like at mm-hmm. Walmart and stuff like that. So I don't think they're ha- they have what they looks like they have. I think mm-hmm. um, it just it's just there to take up shelf space, um, but I'm not really sure because I've never asked for one. You know, I've never asked somebody if they had any in stock. So I'm just going by what I see in the store. So it could just be empty boxes taking up shelf space, but I I really don't know. So I can't really speak to how many are actually out there in the wild or how easy or hard it is to actually get your hands on one, but. I mean, I kind of understand what he's saying as far as the third party support, but, and, and actually I think probably one of the reasons that they didn't want Skyrim to come out is because Legend of Zelda came out as a launch title and they probably didn't want any sort of competition along with Legend of Zelda. I mean, that's kind of my theory because why would you That's a very good point. Yeah. Why would you not put out Skyrim? Because that, like we said, it's almost an eight-year-old game at this point. Actually, it might be an eight-year-old game at this point. Um, but yeah, that is a very much like the way uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. So I would think they wouldn't want that sort of competition. They would want to wait a while. But I don't know. I kind of have I have a little more faith in Nintendo this go around because they've got to understand that. You know, third-party support is what made them great in the first place. I mean, yeah, we love the first-party Nintendo titles back in the day, especially for all the eight, the, the all the eight-bit, you know, Nintendo games and stuff like Super Mario World, Metroid, you know, all the stuff for Super Nintendo. All that stuff's great, but there were also really good third-party games too, and a lot of them. So yes. that's the key to Nintendo's success: is to get good third-party support. And that's been the big thing for the Switch, like the biggest thing that's been said by fans. And I did want to say this one last thing about the article. Um, let's see. You could argue some of Landing's points are valid, but man, that Iwata line. Yeah. That's quite the blindside and pretty out of line. Unsurprisingly, Landing has been getting a lot of online flack for the It Killed Iwata line. And has since taken to Twitter to apologize. He said, I would like to sincerely apologize for the po- poor choice of words concerning Satoru Iwata. My intention was certainly not to disrespect the great man who I have long held with utmost admiration and respect and consider a hero in the video game industry. So at least he did go back. I didn't actually see the original the original Iwata line. I didn't even know about this until earlier today. Yeah. But I give him credit for going back and apologizing because that's yeah. that's just a little over the line. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he does make a point with everything else as far as, you know, Nintendo kind of not really looking for third-party stuff and trying to make as much money as they can on their own stuff. But, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't say those type of things about the 
head of the company because he, you know, it is Nintendo. He is running a very successful company, even though they have done some things that we find questionable. It's not really our place to say how they run their company. You know, how we, the way we uh, express our discontent with them is with our wallets. I mean, if so we don't you like should what express doing, your discontent with anything. Yeah, exactly. If you don't like it, don't buy it. If you got a problem that's, with them, don't buy their stuff. If you want things why, to change, then stop buying things. That's why, especially when it comes to movies, when people bitch about movies, like say the exactly. Transformers movies. Yeah. If you don't like them, then stop going to see them. If they don't make any money, yeah. they're not going to make any more. Everybody bitches about them, but they th- they make like five billion dollars across the globe it's like if everybody hates them then why are they going to see it <laughs> i just don't i don't, I don't know. understand that thinking i mean i don't know let's move on before i go into a rant about that well, one, one one last thing before we move on to this month in video game history did you finish the castlevania series i did not i watched the first episode and then i fell asleep because it was so late the other night and then of course yesterday was my wife's birthday so I really mm-hmm. didn't get to look at it to, uh, yesterday or today, but I will finish it in the next couple nights. The first episode okay. was awesome. Yes. I loved it. And it gets better. I won't do a, an in-depth review of it. We'll save it for next week whenever you finish it, but it doesn't disappoint. I love it's really, the really artwork. Good. The, it just, yeah, it's very anime-like. Yeah, it's very much so, and just dark and just gritty yeah. and... Oh, I love it so much. As soon as the the credits rolled, I was just like, I am so ready for this. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. On July 20th of 1984, Namco releases the Towers of Druaga arcade game, a precursor to the action role-playing genre. Uh, I've known a lot of Namco games in my life, but I've never in my life heard of this game. Have you? I have not. Um, I'm looking at... I got nothing to say about it. Um, No. The little comic strip on the Wikipedia page looks kind of cool. Said it is the first game in the Babylonian Castle Saga series inspired by Sumerian and Babylonian mythology, including the Epic of Gilgamesh and Tower of Babel. It was conceived as a fantasy Pac-Man with combat, puzzle-solving, and subtle role-playing elements. Sound like it might be kind of cool. I'd love to check this out. Yeah, I mean, if this kind of was a precursor to RPG action games, mm-hmm. it'd be kind of cool to go back and see what it's about. Absolutely. Which is uh, segueing into our next bit. On July 8th of 1986, Namco releases The Return of Ishtar, which is the sequel to The Tower of Druaga. And, of course, something we've so you, never even heard of has a sequel. <laughs> yeah, the thing we've never heard of has a sequel that, mm-hmm. again, we've never heard of. Um, well, this one actually has some screenshots and um, looks very simple, but a look maybe a little ahead of its time for the, the time that it came out. It, it does definitely have more of a computer game look to it, is more, more so than like a Nintendo look to it. And it looks like the sequel was only released in Japan. I'm only seeing Japanese release dates on the Wikipedia page. It was released in Japan on the Wii Virtual Console in 2009. So modern audiences, at least you know in Japan, have the opportunity to go back and look at it. Yeah. 
uh, in July of 1986, 10 years after Atari's breakout, uh, Tato releases Arkanoid, which adds power-ups and unique levels and generally reinvigorates the concept. I don't remember. I know Arkanoid, but I don't think I've ever actually played this game. Um, but it looks... I have played Breakout, but I don't think I ever played Arkanoid. It looks very much the same, the screenshots that I see here. Yeah, I've seen I've seen this game in action before, but I've never played it. Yeah, this is still a, a very like the concept of this the the wall breaking is still, you know, a lot of games emulate this playstyle on the uh especially like the iPhone games and stuff. You can buy a thousand breakout clones and this this is kind of like along that those same lines. So I think pretty much everybody out there has played this game at some point. Yeah. And our last bit of this month in video game history, on July 19th, 1991, Square releases Final Fantasy IV in Japan, the first Final Fantasy game for the Super Famicom, a.k.a. the Super Nintendo. It was released in November as Final Fantasy II in North America. I never understood why they did that. Like, oh, in Japan... (laughs) This is the fourth one, but hey, in, in America, it's part two. You got me. Why, why can't I, it all be the same? I can't follow this. For I, you would have to draw like a Venn diagram or something to like try to explain this to me. I, I couldn't even follow it if I tried. Since we had a little hiccup, we're going to pick right back up where we left off going into our talking about Audible for this week before we move into our review. For you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free, I'll emphasize that again, free, free, free audiobook free. download and 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And Jason, you've been reading the Dark Tower series, correct? Yes, I'm almost done with Wizard in Glass, which is book four. I didn't get to listen to too much this week, but I hope I will be done with it uh, by the end of this week, and then I can move on to, I think, Wolves of the Cala is next. Nice. Nice. I'm I'm excited for the movie that's coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going in with reservations. I don't want to get too excited because I don't want to be disappointed. So if I go in with low expectations and it's really good, then I'll be pleasantly surprised. That's the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. So Audible has everything. If you're a fan of mystery books, they have those. If you like science fiction, they have science fiction. They have romance. If you're a gamer, and if you're not, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but they have books from the Halo series, Gears of War, Mass Effect. They have autobiographies, fiction, nonfiction. Every genre for every reader, Audible has got that for you. And if you're on the go like I am all the time, Audible is a great service to continue to be able to read without having to actually sit down and read a book. Mm-hmm. So to do that, just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. And this week we're going to be talking about... Such jaunty music. 
<laughs> I know I love this theme song. I was glad you picked this. Um, I will be reviewing this week for the PlayStation 1, our first PlayStation review yeah. on this podcast, Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back, which was made by Naughty Dog, released in North America on November 5th, 1997. So you might be wondering why I'm picking the second game as opposed to the original one. Well, there's two reasons. One it's my favorite game of the trilogy. And two, it's a great example of what a sequel to a video game should be. And that's taking everything that worked from the first one, because Crash Bandicoot 1 is a good game. It's not a great game. It's got quite a bit of flaws. Crash Bandicoot 2 fixes most of those flaws, keeps relatively the same mechanics while adding in some new things, and also sticking to the same tone, like the lighthearted, comedic, almost Saturday morning cartoon type of tone. So do you remember when uh, Stone, when Sony was trying to actually make Crash Bandicoot into the mascot for the PlayStation? Oh, yeah. That didn't work out too well, did it? No, I mean, the the first few games, that, the Crash Bandicoot games they did were really good. But after Naughty Dog stopped making them, they kind of went south pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I want to say there was Crash Bandicoot 1, 2, 3, then they had the racing game. And then I think they had Crash Bandicoot 4, The Wrath of Cortex. And that was a PS2, GameCube, Xbox. Like It was available on all of those. And after that one, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done with the Crash Bandicoot phase. Now, I will say the games are a lot of fun. There are a fun platforming game, and we've talked about how we've wished that genre would make its return, and I think that it very well could be because of the re-release of the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, which is ridiculously hard. Yeah. I will say that. Like, I forgot how hard these games were. I played the very first one. I didn't play any more after that. Um but I do think that this was a good step towards bringing platformers into the 3D realm. And I think we really kind of just got away from where this was leading to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, a little bit about the story. After Crash Bandicoot defeats Dr. Neo Cortex and rescues his girlfriend Tana... Cortex falls from his lair down towards the Earth, his maniacal bid for world domination thwarted. After his crash, Cortex awakens in a dark cavern filled with glowing crystals. Convinced they hold tremendous power, he takes one and returns to his laboratory to examine it. Fast forward one year later, um, he realizes that he needs 25 crystals to complete this thing he's building called the Cortex Vortex. Well, he's stranded on his space station with his assistant, Dr. N. Jin. Uh, they had a lot of funny uh, cliche names in this series. Like I said, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, he convinces Crash that he's turned over a new leaf. And as Crash, you have to go through all these different levels and you have to collect crystals. Well, along the way, you also collect gems. Once you collect a gem, you're contacted by his former assistant, Dr. Embryo, about saying that Cortex is really still evil and he's using you to 
complete his evil plan, so you need to collect the gems instead. So you need to collect all the crystals and all the gems to get like the 100% completion. But the cool thing about Crash Bandicoot 2 as opposed to 1, all the levels in Crash Bandicoot 1 had like a tropical island type feel to them. Yeah. Whereas in that. 2 you have you have your forest, you have your jungle, you've got uh, snow, you've got rain, you've got such a variety. It was almost like like the Mario games in a way where you add like a, a variety of stuff and there are some levels where you ride a baby polar bear and you have to navigate through all these different obstacles. And then a few levels later you'll meet mama polar bear and she's not very happy with you. So she chases you through the whole level. <laughs> um, you get, you get chased by a giant boulder, Indiana Jones style, which is awesome. pretty cool. So this game has quite a bit of variety, and it's just a fun platformer. If you love fun platformers and you only play one Crash Bandicoot game, it's this one. Because you get to meet new characters, the boss battles are really fun, the levels offer some great variety, and the music is really catchy too. Some of it's a little repetitive, but the music is really, really good. And as you mentioned, you played the opening theme, which is my favorite out of the three games. It has kind of that ominous feel to it, which I think is really cool. Because even the name is Cortex Strikes Back. So yeah. you're kind of got like, oh, is it going to be like an Empire Strikes Back thing where it's got a darker tone to it? And it does. If you look at some of the level design and just the feel of part one as opposed to part two, Everything looks a little darker. It's got a little bit more of a crisper, mature look in a way, but it's not a mature game. Yeah. But it is it's really, really fun. I, I've enjoyed, you know, going back and playing it through the Insanity trilogy, which you can get on PlayStation 4. Uh, as soon as I got the game, I said to myself, I've got to review part two of Crash Bandicoot for this show. Because like you said, Crash was really relevant during the mid to late nineties because he was going to be Sony's answer to Mario. You had like the three headed mascot monster. You had Mario for Nintendo, you had Sonic for Sega, and then you had crash for Sony. But once naughty dog left that franchise and it's crazy because now they make games like the last of us and they're really, really good, but they're completely yeah. different than crash bandicoot. But I, I thought Activision did a really good job with remaking the game uh, for the PS4 because the music's remastered, the graphics look great. If you're like an old school Crash fan and you have a PS4, definitely check it out because it's basically three games for like 40 bucks. So, so you, you can't really beat that. So do you think we're beyond the need for system selling mascots? At this point, yes. I Did, think it's just a different this, time. Haven't we had this conversation before? Mm -hmm. This feels really like I'm having deja vu because I think the last real mascot we had as far as systems go was Master Chief for the mm -hmm. original Xbox. And that's the last time I really remember anybody using like a mascot type of deal to sell systems. Nintendo obviously still does it because, I mean, Mario is the, you know, the Mickey Mouse of video games. Well, none of the other quote-unquote mascots have the longevity and the history that Mario has. Not even Sonic. And Sonic's been yeah. around almost as long. But I think the, the 3D transition has kind of tainted the Sonic games 
Whereas Mario made that seamless transition and, yeah. you know, even kind of going back to the 2D games with the 3DS and the new Super Mario Brothers games, he Mario has that perfect genre and perfect style that works in either 2D or 3D. And even though it was on the Wii, you know, the, the Galaxy games were amazing. Not as good as Mario 64, but yeah. even like Mario Sunshine for the GameCube was fun. There's just something about those Mario games. I think the longevity and the sentimental value has something to do with it. And I'll even say this, like I like Zelda more than Mario, but there's nothing like playing through a Mario game. It's like a, yeah. a unique experience that I can't describe. Oh, he's, I just, I think they're going to be using Mario for the next hundred years, probably oh, or yeah. as long as Nintendo is around. Because yeah. even when we went to the um, the arcade yesterday, everything that had anything to do with Nintendo, like there was a Mario face on it, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the Super Mario card. They had a Luigi's Mansion in there. Like everywhere you look, there's something Mario. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, he's like I said, he's the Mickey Mouse of video games and it's just weird that, you know, PlayStation started out wanting to have that sort of Crash Bandicoot, you know, kind of rival of Mario and Sonic. And just Mario's just crushed them all, man. Mm hmm. Yep. Because he was first. Mm -hmm. At least I think that's one of the reasons. Yeah. But as far as reception goes, Crash Bandicoot 2 received positive reviews from critics. John Brody of GameSpot considered the game to be superior to its predecessor, which I agree with, commenting positively on the warp room concept. So basically what that is, is there are five different warp rooms that have different themes to them. So say warp room one has a lot of jungle levels. Warp room two has, I think, all the snow worlds. And then I want to say it's the third one has like factory type levels four I can't really remember. And then five had a lot of space and tech themed stuff hmm. because that was the last hub world before you fight Dr. Cortex and the final boss battle. So the warp room concept was, was really cool. Um, as far as reviews go, electronic gaming monthly gave it eight and a half out of 10 game revolution gave it a B IGN gave it an eight and a half of 10 PlayStation magazine gave it a five out of five, which well, is crazy. Sure. They would. It's their own property. <laughs> well, I mean, even Nintendo, you'll see like, Oh, they'll give Ocarina of time a 4.5. I'm like, everybody's giving it a 10. You can, you can, you can do this mm -hmm. every now and then. Yeah. So, but no crash bandicoot is, I'm not going to say, it's as good as Mario or even the Sonic games because out of those, out of that era, if I had to pick a franchise, it would be beneath Mario and Sonic. But the games are still really fun. If you're a platforming fan, they're definitely a lot of fun to do. And all three of them are good in their own way. I would probably rank them two, three, and one. And then the racing game is its own separate thing, which I'll say about that game real quick. It looks like a Mario Kart ripoff, but it's probably the best racing game that I've played next to Mario Kart. Wow. So it's it's a lot of fun. But I remember you telling I get, me about that at one point. 
I'm hoping that they remaster that for for PS4 because the Crash series, the Crash trilogy, I should say, is selling extremely well. I don't have numbers in front of me, but it's selling really well. So I think they might. What they might do is they might re-release Crash Team Racing, and then after that, we might get a new Crash Bandicoot game for the PlayStation. That'd be awesome. I think it's time to bring him back. I think so too. I, he's been a, gone long enough to where I think it's it's justified and I think it's the right time yeah. to bring him back. But number scale, I would probably give this, I'd give it probably a solid eight, awesome. solid eight out of 10. It's, it's when it comes to platforming, it's definitely up there on my list of favorite games. There's definitely so I definitely recommend lot. checking it out. There's definitely a lot of stuff I would love to see like old um, IPs definitely making some sort of a comeback, especially on the Nintendo side. They've let a, um, there's a few things I would like to see sort of take a jump into the new era, um, stuff mm-hmm. that we haven't seen since the early '90s. Like especially like Star Tropics, that was a Nintendo property. I would love mm-hmm. to see them take another stab at that. But it's cool they're bringing back Crash Bandicoot and making new platformers because I think platformers are. You know, people miss that type of gameplay, so I think it's due for a comeback on a mainstream level. Say again? I said on a mainstream level, I think it's due for it to uh, make a comeback. No, I absolutely agree. But But yeah, that's that's my review of Crash Bandicoot 2, Cortex Strikes Back. Awesome. Uh, I think next week I'm going to be doing, let me roll up here. I think I'm going to go ahead and do Double Dragon. Um, but actually, you kick ass on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, next week um, next week is our 50th episode, or not 50th, but one year anniversary episode, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking we might do, um, next week we may do our music episode for our one year, but I'm not quite sure okay. what we're going to do yet. We'll discuss that when we uh, shut down the uh, stream here. We'll talk about that for next week. We'll uh, we'll let the people know through the social media yeah. machine. We'll surprise like the, everybody. The the tweeter and the the book of face. <laughs> yes. Um, is there anything <laughs> else you wanted to talk about before we get out of here this week? Book of face. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Well, like I said, um, if you ever get a chance, if you have one near you. Go try out a Star Wars Battle Pod. That thing is fantastic. Um, <laughs> if I had the money, I would have one sitting in the room right behind me, and I would never leave it. I would. They would just find a skeleton in like a month. <laughs> if there was a way I could manipulate the green screen behind me, I would put one next Hell to it yeah. and be like, "Oh my god, he's got a Battle Pod in his house." <laughs> I'd be so jealous. Uh, <laughs> And I would probably come over to your house and and be severely disappointed that it's not there and then go into a a homicidal rage. (laughs) With me being your first casualty. Yes. (laughs) But um, but I guess we're going to go ahead and get out of here for this week. And um, we'll keep everybody updated on what we're going to do for next week. And um, yeah. So if you would like to email us, please email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. You can find us on our own website at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And you can follow us individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. And you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. 
Retro. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.